Welcome to the RE Podcast, the first dedicated RE podcast for students and teachers. My name is Louisa Jane Smith and this is the RE Podcast, the podcast for those of you who think RE is boring, which it is, and I'll prove it to you. As I write this episode in February 2022, we are waiting to see if Russia will invade Ukraine. Many of my students are terrified of war and it has put a whole new angle on teaching the peace and conflict unit. Whereas before, war seemed distant and even, in some ways, romantic and exciting. Now it feels imminent and terrifying. More children are sympathetic with pacifism, whereas before they thought war was necessary. I'm not going to try and unpack the history of Russia and Ukraine, as it's not really my specialism, and a history teacher could do this so much better. But I am interested in keeping abreast of the situation and using it in my lessons. Essentially, this is a conflict that has been present for decades. Ukraine has had a complicated history, being an independent state for a couple of years, from 1918 to 1920, and at times being part-owned by Czechoslovakia, now the Czech Republic, Poland and Romania. In 1922, it became one of the states of the USSR, the United Soviet States of Russia. In 1991, the USSR was broken up and Ukraine became an independent state again. But its leader was pro-Russia and, in 2014, rejected more involvement with the EU, the European Union. This caused an uprising and led to the pro-Russian leader being replaced by a pro-European one who wanted the country to join NATO. NATO is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And it's a military alliance formed in 1949 by 12 countries, including the US, Canada, the UK and France. Its members agree to come to one another's aid in the event of an armed attack against any one of the other member states. Its aim originally was to counter the threat of Russian expansion in Europe. So you can see why Russia doesn't like NATO and doesn't want Ukraine to join it. A student asked me a couple of weeks ago, why are we getting involved and why don't we just let them sort it out themselves? A great question, motivated by a fear of Russia sending troops to England. But it got me thinking, what is the right thing to do? Not get involved and protect our own population? Or support a nation that is being attacked by a much more powerful nation with the largest nuclear arsenal in the world? If Ukraine join NATO, then we are bound to support them but currently we are not. But do we have a moral duty to help Ukraine? Peace and conflict is a topic I've wanted to do for a while on the podcast, but it seems kind of timely now. So let's start with what war is. War is a state of armed conflict between different countries or between different groups within a country. There have been two world wars. This is a war involving many large nations in all different parts of the world. The name is commonly given to the wars of 1914 to 1918 and 1939 to 1945, although only the second of these was truly global. A civil war is a war between two groups within a country. The main causes of war are self-defence, retaliation and greed. Self-defence is when a country defends itself or another country who is being attacked. World War II was essentially a war in self-defence when Britain came to defend Poland, who was being invaded by Germany. Retaliation 
is when you start a war with someone because they have attacked you first. The war in Iraq was a war started in retaliation to the terrorist attacks of 2001 and 2002. Greed is when a war is started because one country wants something more than it already has. In some ways, World War II was also about greed because Germany wanted an empire. There are obviously other reasons for war, such as ideology. That's just a posh word of saying ideas. The war between America and Vietnam was essentially a war motivated by a hate or fear of communism. And as I've mentioned, the tensions between Russia and Ukraine are essentially based on ideology. There are wars caused by religion, something I mentioned briefly in Season 1, Episode 2, looking at whether religions are evil. But only 7% of wars in the whole history are actually caused by religion. So Israel-Palestine is an example of one, and the Protestants and Catholics in Ireland being another. But let's tackle wars caused by religion first. We call these holy wars. So a holy war is a war started by a religious leader or started for a religious purpose. But many of my students question the term holy war as an oxymoronic statement. Oxymoronic is just a posh way of saying it contradicts itself. If religion is about peace and love and reconciliation, then how can they start wars? Well, in the Old Testament, David fought Goliath and won, suggesting that one, God was in favour of the conflict, and two, God was on David's side. Actually, throughout the Old Testament, God wages war on people with instructions to show no mercy. For example, in Deuteronomy 20, God said that if a city does not accept Israel's offer of peace and open its gates, then, and I quote, when the Lord your God delivers it into your hand, put to the sword all men in it. Verse 13. And then in verse 16, it says, and I quote, do not leave anything that breathes. And you might have heard of Jericho, the Israelites, and I quote, destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. That's Joshua 6.21. Then in Joshua 11.20, it says, and I quote, for it was the Lord himself who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel so that he might destroy them totally, exterminating them without mercy, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So it kind of feels like the Old Testament God was a vengeful, warmongering God. But it was against people who sacrificed children to pagan gods and prostituted people in the temple as part of their religious ceremonies. Also, they wanted to intermarry with the Israelites, so maybe God was kind of right to fight against this type of evil. Although it does seem that God could have saved women and children and animals and only killed those responsible for the evil. But then how do you understand that in the context of a Ten Commandment that says, do not kill? And Jesus, who said, love your neighbor, turn the other cheek, love your enemy, do good to those who persecute you, do not repay evil with evil. So you can kind of see why Christians are split in their attitude to war. Let's look at the Crusades. The Crusades were a series of battles in the 11th to 13th century where the Pope sent troops to Jerusalem to claim it for Christianity and extinguish the Muslim presence. They did not succeed. So you have to ask yourself, well, which side was God on? Or indeed, whether he was involved at all. Talking of Islam, 
Islam actually started their religion by successfully defeating the Meccan army in a series of bloody conflicts. Muslims would claim Allah was on their side and miraculously protected Muhammad and his army. And yet it says in the Quran, if you kill another, it is as if you have shared the blood of the whole of humanity. Jihad in Islam is a word that means struggle. And there is a lesser jihad and a greater jihad. The greater jihad, the greater struggle, is the struggle to be a good Muslim, to submit to the will of Allah, to pray daily, to fast, to learn Arabic, to read the Quran. The lesser jihad is the struggle to defend Islam against its oppressors. So Muslims must be ready to defend their faith, but there have been some Muslims throughout history who seem to make the lesser jihad their life's mission, using it to inflict terror upon others. Yet the word Islam means peace, and the Muslim greeting being, Salam alaikum, peace be upon you. Buddhism is understood by most to be the most peaceful religion, not waging war against people, following the precept of avoid harming life. But even they have used violence to protest or as a method of establishing their authority. Whether this is the monk who set fire to himself as a protest against the war at Vietnam, or the Buddhist military in Myanmar who are accused by the UN of ethnically cleansing the country from the Rohingya tribe, a Muslim tribe in the Rohingya region of the country, by burning their villages, raping their women, and making them illegal immigrants. Six carry a dagger with them to remind themselves to stand up for what is right. It's one of the five Ks, the Kipan, introduced to Sikhi by Guru Gobind Singh, the 10th Guru. So it feels like many religions have quite a close relationship with violence. Now we've talked about holy wars, but what if a war is not holy, but is started by a political leader? Is it right for religious people to fight? A guy called Aristotle, who lived about 300 years before Jesus, started developing the ideas, considering that maybe it might sometimes be necessary to fight. Later in the 13th century, Aquinas developed the just war theory. This is a series of conditions that make it acceptable for a religious person to fight in a war. Over the centuries, other people have added to the conditions. But I think it's quite fun to teach your students to clap to help them remember the conditions for a just war. C is for just cause, e.g. self-defence. It can never be to acquire wealth or power. L is for last resort. So this is when all peaceful solutions and diplomacy have been tried but failed. So, for example, negotiations. A is for authority. This means that the war must be declared by the state or by the ruler of that state. A is also for aim, and the aim of the war must be to promote good or defeat evil, with the aim of restoring peace and justice after the war is over. And the good which is achieved by the war must be greater than the evil which led to the war. And lastly, P is for proportional. You must use just enough force to achieve victory and only against legitimate targets. So civilians must be protected. In reality, not a single war in history has ever met all of these conditions. 
World War II arguably did up until the point that nuclear bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki because, by nature, nuclear bombs target innocent people. And I think it brings up a really interesting chat on the use of nuclear weapons, doesn't it? World War II had been raging for six years and millions of people had died and there was no end in sight. The nuclear weapons dropped by Harry Truman caused Japan to surrender and potentially saved the lives of millions of people had the war continued. So could it have been the lesser of two evils? While many religious people use verses like do not kill, love your neighbour and ideas of the sanctity of life to argue against the use of nuclear weapons, could these same verses be used to support the use of nuclear weapons because it ended conflict and saved more lives? But let's never forget the complete horror and devastation to human lives, infrastructure and the environment. If Christians are meant to be stewards of the earth, then the use of nuclear weapons would be completely against this. There are, of course, pacifists. Pacifists are those who do not believe in the use of violence in any circumstances. Verses like do not kill, turn the other cheek, love your neighbour, treat others the way you want to be treated, do not repay evil with evil, and, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The Quakers are a pacifist denomination within Christianity that began in England in the 1650s. Quakers believe that there is a little something of God in everyone, so each and every human is of unique worth. This is why Quakers are totally against violence and anything which may harm or threaten humans. They believe violence causes more problems than it solves, but being a Quaker also means working to remove the causes of conflict so there's no need for it, and they do this using non-violent means. They are, of course, criticised for giving in to evil, and I think this is the strongest argument against pacifism. Because sometimes, is it necessary to fight evil? World War II is a really good example of this. But many Quakers became conscientious objectors, Scary word alert. It simply means that they object to war because their conscience says it's wrong. Your conscience is your inner understanding of right or wrong. Desmond Doss is a really good example of a conscientious objector, someone who refused to fight because their conscience believed it was wrong. And he refused to fight in World War II because he was a pacifist. The film Hacksaw Ridge tells his real-life story, so if you haven't seen it, turn this podcast off and go and watch it immediately. Desmond Doss was actually a Seventh-day Adventist, another Christian denomination, so that teaches us that not all Christian pacifists are Quakers. But there are also different types of pacifists. Absolute pacifists, who won't use violence in any situation and conditional pacifists who will only use violence in very extreme situations if there is no other choice. I've started to ask my students this question. If you could wake up tomorrow and violence was not a thing, would the world be better or worse than it is now? If there was no more rape, no more murder, no more war, no more abuse. So maybe religions, like us all, are divided. Let's take the situation in Ukraine. I'm a pacifist, but 
Would it be immoral not to come to the defence of the Ukraine if they are attacked by Russia? And would it have been immoral not to come to the defence of Poland against Nazi invasion? So, how do we know when it is just and fair and right to use violence? The Bible seems to suggest that the hinge is justice. Not only whether violence is justified, but also whether it is bringing about what is right and fair. I'd love to know what you think. So please get in touch on Twitter at the RE Podcast One or email me, Louise Jane Smith at the RE Podcast.co.uk or message me through my website, www.thearepodcast.co.uk. But I want to end with a quote from the Dalai Lama. He says this Most of us have been conditioned. Since armies are legal, we feel that war is acceptable. In general, Nobody feels that war is criminal or that accepting it is a criminal attitude. In fact, we have been brainwashed. War is monstrous. Its very nature is one of tragedy and suffering. In the next episode, I'm going to be interviewing my very own head of department, Pete Boundary, about reconciliation. Because after most of our year 11 got zero on a question on this in their mock, we decided we were probably teaching it badly and we wanted to rethink how we could teach it to them. And we're going to share what we came up with with you lovely listeners. My name is Louisa Jane Smith and this has been the RE Podcast. The podcast for those of you who think RE is boring, which it is, I just proved it to you. But thank you so much for letting me pour the life out of you.